The following audio is from a sermon series from Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 26 through 40. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came, or are you the only one it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I am glad that you have joined us this morning. Um, At Sacred City Church, we primarily preach through books of the Bible, verse by verse. Uh, We think this is the best way to preach because it gives us a greater understanding of each book and we, uh, that we study each book that we study, we kind of, we understand it in a greater way and it forces us (laughs) to deal with very difficult scriptures, things that most of us, if we're reading in our private devotion, will go, ah, boop, skip over that part. I have no idea what that means. Maybe do a little Benjamin Franklin and just cut it out, right? Cut it out. Uh, but we have, to, we have to study it this morning, okay? We, when we come to a difficult text, I can't just jump over it, even though I wanted to several times this week. We've got to go into it and see what is God trying to say to us? What was he trying to say to the Corinthians? Because we have to remember, God gave us all the scriptures for our good, First Timothy 3.16 said they're profitable for us, right? We're, they're, they're meant to uh, shape us. They're meant to form us. They're meant to mold us. They're meant to make us more and more beautiful like Jesus. Now, anytime we hit a text like this, it's important for me to tell you, first off, this is why you pay me, okay? This is me earning my salary this morning, all right? I'm just gonna let you know that. Um, this text is difficult to interpret. Okay, it's not impossible, but it is very difficult. It took a lot of supplemental reading. Okay, I can't just come to the Bible, open it up and go, oh, I totally get that. All right, I'm going to let you know this was written in a different language, right? It's a different culture, 2000 years removed from us. So it took a lot of extra work. I had to consult several commentaries, several other scholars who are um, experts. I had to look at it in the Greek. I even had, I even listened to an hour and a half long lecture from D.A. Carson. D.A. Carson has his PhD in the New Testament from Cambridge, okay? I 
for you, because I love you, I sat through an hour and a half long lecture, all right? And let me tell you, it wasn't that fun, okay? And there's a lot of, there's a lot, there's a spectrum of attempts at scholars to make sense of this text. And I'm not, my job is not to bore you this morning. My job is not, this isn't um, a seminary classroom, so I'm not going to present to you every single scholar's idea or concept uh, of what's going on in the church of Corinth and what Paul's going to write. I'm going to to present to you one. I'm going to present to you what I believe as your shepherd, as your pastor, to be the correct interpretation, to believe the best interpretation. But as I do that, I also want to do that uh, in humility. Okay. Like I had to go back. I did have to pull out the big guns, right? I had to go to the scholars and the commentaries, but all of those are available for anyone. At, by, if you want to know, you just Google it, right? You can go to monergism.com. They've got a great list of scholars, scholarly resources. You can look it up yourself. Um, so we can, anybody can do that if they want to do it. It just takes time. But as we jump into it, I, I want us to remember a couple of things. First at sacred city, We try to differentiate between what we call open-handed issues and closed-handed issues, okay? Closed-handed issues are, in the words of Paul, what he's going to say in the next chapter, closed-handed issues are matters of first importance, okay? Uh, Really, that's anything in Scripture that's just clear, okay? It's anything in Scripture that is especially in regards to the gospel. Like, how do people far from God come to live with God inside his kingdom? Those are closed-handed issues. The Bible is really clear that we're justified, we're made right with God through faith, by grace in Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ took our place, and when we place our faith in him, we're made right with God, and God sends the Holy Spirit, literally a piece of God, comes and lives inside of us, and that, and God inside of us begins to make all things new, begins to make us more and more and more beautiful, and teach us how to live in his ways, under his rule, under his reign, in his kingdom, Okay? Close-handed issues. Now, there's a lot of open-handed issues. All right? Now, those things are a little more fuzzy in Scripture. There are things that maybe Scripture doesn't even address, right? Uh, And those are a little more fuzzy. They're not central to the gospel. Okay? When is Jesus going to come back? I have no idea. I'm going to tell you that, right? Anybody who writes a book proves they're ignorant and they have no idea. All right? We should uh, write a book on that. I'm sorry, not just write a book, but writes a book on the end. This is when Jesus is going to come back, right? We don't know, okay? Should we be building bunkers right now? I don't know, okay? Scripture doesn't speak about it. I'm not going to speak about it. Did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? Research it, look it up, form your opinions, right? It's an open-handed issue with me, okay? Now, these are tertiary matters, okay? There's a lot of speculation So we should hold these things loosely and be gracious with those who uh, differ with us. Now, listen, um, I've heard heard a pastor say one time that our emotional responses should mirror these open-handed, closed-handed issues. So what I mean by that is we should be really, really passionate about the gospel, willing to die for the sake of the gospel, willing to fight for the truth of the gospel, willing to stand up and say, no, that's out of line with the gospel. We should get really fired up when somebody preaches a false gospel, but our emotional responses should calm down as we get out to these open-handed issues. Okay. Like 
If you know anything about the millennial reign of Christ, if you're pre-mill or post-mill or all-mill, our emotional responses should get way down here because Scripture's really not, not, uh, not clear on, on that, okay? So today we're going, this is a text here that's going to have some of that, all right? I want us to uh, see this text that part of it is really clear. We can hold it with a closed hand. It's really clear. And then there's another part, especially verses 34 to 35, that we got to hold in an open hand because they're not very clear. And we need to have a humble stance and a humble posture um, and really just be humble in our interpretation, okay? Like, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of scholars who've spilled a lot of ink on this. And I probably read, I don't know, 200 pages. I probably read 200 pages, 150, 200 pages this week of of scholarly work on this little uh, 16 verses or whatever, 14 verses. Okay. There's a lot of ink that's been spilled and there's a lot of differing opinions. Okay. So I'm going to give us what's really clear. And then we're going to be humble about the interpretation. At least I hope that we can do that. Okay. Now with that said, I'm fairly certain that, uh, none of us, unfortunately are going to walk away from this text saying, Oh, I totally get what Paul was doing there. Oh, I, I get it. Like, I see why he wrote that, and I totally understand it. I'm, let, I need to put this on a coffee cup, right? This needs to be my life first, all right? I don't think any of us are going to walk away uh, from that this morning. But I want to, but what, before I jump into it, what I want to do is I want to press into you uh, this morning. Can you obey? Can you submit? That means to come under. And that word was in our text. And I know, you know, hair stood on the back of some people's necks when that word was used. Can you trust God when you don't understand something? When it's really fuzzy, when it's clear, when it's foggy, can you say, I trust you, God. I will submit to you. I will obey you. I will let you shape my life and my practices and my rhythms, even though I don't get it. Can you do that? Now, think of it like this. Both myself and my children, are, we're both made in the image of God, right? We are equal before God. We're both finite creatures. But I have, hopefully, more wisdom, more experience, and more knowledge than my children. Because of that, I can understand things in a greater way than all of my kids, right? So this week I had this conversation with my daughter, all right? Uh, When dad says, no, Zoe, you cannot ride your bike down that 10 foot tall water slide. Okay, that was a statement I had to speak. I had to utter that statement this week, okay? She (laughs) does not understand my reasoning, She misinterprets me to be mean and no fun. Dad is restricting my freedom, right? In a sense, that is exactly what I'm doing, right? I'm restricting her freedom. But I know bike plus water slide equals ER, right? Now, that's true even though, that's true even though Zoe and I are equal before God, right? We're both finite creatures. But there is a knowledge gap between us. Do you see that? There's a knowledge gap between myself and my children. So I have reasons that they don't understand about. Their job is to trust and obey. 
right? Ephesians says, children, obey your parents so it will go well for you, right? They're not called to understand everything I do, right? And if you're a parent, you know you get really tired of the why question, right? Can I eat this? No. Why? Mm. Actually, it's usually the first time. It's not bad. It's the third, fourth, fifth, right? There's a knowledge gap, and there's a sense where she needs to just trust dad, that dad knows what's best, right? Because there's a knowledge gap between us. I know stuff that she doesn't, therefore she'll never understand my ways fully. Now, I want you to think about how much greater a difference there is between us and our creator. Scripture says that God is omniscient. That means he's eternally all-knowing. He knows everything about everything, 1 John 3.20 says. And with that knowledge, God is sovereign. With that eternal knowledge, he's working everything out right now for his glory and the good of his church. All things are working together for our good is what Romans 8 tells us, right? The reason we can trust that is because God is eternally all-knowing and he's also all-powerful. So he doesn't, he knows the best way and he's all-powerful so he can actually accomplish the best way so we can trust him. So I want you to think about that. There is an infinite knowledge gap between us and God, right? There's an infinite knowledge gap between us and God. So we might not understand today's passage completely. But can you trust God anyways? Can you trust God that he might be saying, no, Zoe, don't ride your bike down the water slide. And to us, we might be hearing, that is restricting my freedom. Who is he to tell me that I can't do that? I have, what, I have a gift, I have brains, I have whatever. I want to be able to do that. And it's a loving, sovereign father who knows far more than we do. Can you trust him when you don't understand it? And I'm going to say this. If you can't trust scripture and you can't trust God, if you don't understand him, then you do not have a God. You are your God. Your knowledge, your reason, your intellect. You assume (laughs) that an eternal all-knowing, sovereign God who was uncreated, who spoke the worlds into existence, you assume that you should get that. Like, you should, I should just get him. I should understand all his ways, right? So in that scenario, you yourself have been put up as the sovereign, as all-knowing, right? So I think this is what Paul kind of, he's going to ground his whole argument in this concept, okay? In verse 37, he says, you, basically, he's saying, he didn't say you might not get it, but he's basically saying you might not get it, but here's the deal. Jesus is Lord, and this is a command from him. So Paul says, what does it mean to be Lord? It means to be uh, the ruler of all. It means to be the master. It means to be the king. It means to be the owner, right? And this is a decree from King Jesus that we're to say, okay, we're to trust and obey. Trust that he knows more than we do and he's working for our good. And he's a good father who wants it to go well for us. So I pray that we can have kind of this attitude as we study this scripture today. So with all of that said, let's jump in 
to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. All right, let's get there. And there's some, if you don't have a Bible, you're going to want to have a Bible today. So open it up on your app or there's some Bibles laying probably underneath some chairs uh, in your row that you can grab. We use the English Standard Version. It's a, a word for word translation here at Sacred City. We want to jump into that. Now, Paul has been spending this, uh, well, for us, the last several weeks, in the last three chapters specifically, Paul's been addressing the way spiritual gifts are to be used in the gathering, okay? Today, he's going to get even more specific with how a gathering should look, right? We've been studying that. And if you know anything about Corinthians, if you've been around here for a while, they were doing a lot of things wrong. Uh, It was chaotic, right? There's a lot of hurting people, a lot of, you know, blurting things out, a lot of sin, a lot of strife, a lot of chaos was going on in the church. And Paul is trying, kind of like this, kind of like God. Paul is trying to be God-like in a sense. And let me give me a sense. Give me a minute to explain this. He's speaking order into chaos. Okay, that's what Paul's doing. That's what God did, right? God spoke the world, the world's into existence. He spoke the sun. He spoke the solar system. He's speaking, kind of. He's speaking. Uh, or he's bringing order into chaos, right? So Paul's kind of doing that in this whole book. He's trying to bring order into chaos. He's writing and bringing correction to bring order into chaos. And uh, specifically now in chapter fourteen, he's been addressing two things. He's been addressing this gift called speaking in tongues. And he's been addressing this other gift called prophecy. Now, we defined those last week. I'm not going to go back and redefine them again. Uh, if you want, you can look up our website, sacredcitychurch.com, and find that work there. Let's jump in to verse 26. Okay, this is about the Sunday gathering or maybe the Wednesday gathering. It's about the gathering of the church. Paul writes, What then, brothers, when you come together... Each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Now, last week we saw Paul, this is Paul's point, building things up, right? Bringing order out of chaos. That's what his whole goal is. And he's saying, when you come together, I want everyone. Now, listen, that list there is not exhaustive. Okay, that's like, he's not saying, this is the only things I want done on Sunday. Right? He's just listing a few of them. He's listing several of them. But he's saying, I want, when you come together, I want everyone to be using their spiritual gifts together. That's what I want it to happen. That's what I want to happen. But I want us to come together, not just to show off our spiritual gifts, but I want to come together to build people up in Jesus Christ, to, to shape us and to sanctify us and, and make us more and more and more beautiful in Jesus. So, and Paul's specifically saying, uh, let me just say it like this. He's saying, use your gifts, okay? If you cannot sing, right, don't bring a hymn to the church. Let's just say that, right? If you can sing, get up on stage or sing, or you can play it in your missional community or whatever, that, then people are edified, people are built up by it. But if you cannot sing, right, no one is going to be built up by that, right? That's just going to put people on edge. It's going to be... It just makes, you know, makes my head twitch when I think about it, right? When you hit those bad notes, when I hit those bad notes, right? I can't even sing with my kids in the car. I'm so bad, right? So it's not all-inclusive, 
but this is some of the gifts that we're meant to use. And he's saying, we're all, you've all been gifted. Use the gifts that God's given you in the gathering. Do it in such a way that it builds up God's gathered people. Now, let's keep reading because we really talked about that last week. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three. And each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no interpretation, let each of them, what? Keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Okay? So Paul's saying, he told us, we we learned it last week, speaking in tongues. um, If there's an interpretation, it kind of, it, it, it can benefit the body of Christ. Right, But most of the time, Paul says, I would rather speak five intelligible words than 10,000 in tongues because they're going to build up the church. So Paul gives a really clear guideline here. Uh, I only want to, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. People are popping up speaking in tongues. I only want two or three to do it, right? I only want two or three to do it and wait for the interpretation. If there's no interpretation, be quiet. He says, keep silent in, this, in the church, right? So he's, he's really saying, Hush, right? That's what he's saying to people who are speaking in tongues and they're not having an interpretation, okay? Do it at home. Uh, Use a private prayer language at home or in your car or whatever. This private communion that you build yourself up. We talked about it last week. Do that. I want you to do that. I want everyone to do that that has that gift, he says. But in the gathering, I don't want people popping up and it, you know, It seems crazy, right? I don't want that to happen. Now, keep reading. So he tells them to be quiet. 29, let two or three prophets speak, right? Again, this isn't fortune tellers or something. This is people who are declaring um, God's word and who are uh, maybe sharing a revelation they feel like the Lord has given them. It doesn't have to be spontaneous. Uh, And let the others weigh what is said? Okay, so, so here, we have this proclamation. We've got people speaking in tongues in this church, and we've got other people bringing words from the Lord, and we've got all this stuff going on. But Paul says, I only want two or three to be doing it at a, or I want one person doing it at a time, right? Can you imagine this? I want one person, maybe some of you have come from this church, so you can't imagine this, right? I only want one person talking at a time. I want it to be done in order. And I want, listen, Somebody says, I want the others, I don't know who the others are, but it says, let the others weigh what is being said. So listen, think about that. What does that mean to weigh what is being said? That means Paul is assuming that when people prophesy, it will be a mixed bag. You hear that? When people prophesy, it is not like I've seen in charismatic churches, thus saith the Lord, whatever they say. No. Paul says we should weigh what is being said. When I declare the word of God to you, you should weigh what is being said. Why? Because I'm fallible, right? I'm a sinner myself. I don't have, I'm not a a genius. I'm not God. I'm not all knowing. And no one who so-called prophesies is perfect. So anytime a prophetic word is uttered, we should be weighing what is said. Okay. Let's keep going. If a revelation is made to another, let the first be what? 
silent, right? So he's, he's, he's doing this again. He, we see this, a lot of talking going on, a lot of, a lot of jibber-jatter, a lot of gifts, tongues. All right, one at a time, the others be quiet. Prophecy, one at a time, the others be quiet, right? So he's silencing people. For you can all prophesy, look, one by one. <laughs> I love this. So that all may learn and be encouraged. What's, and he, he goes, and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. What's he saying? Listen, the gift of prophecy is not possession, right? It's not the spirit overtakes you and you can't control yourself and you have to say something. You have to speak this word to this person right now, or you have to share this revelation right now. That is presumptuous. That is your personality. That is something else driving you. That is not the spirit of God. The spirit of prophets are subject to prophets. Wait your turn one at a time. This could be a word to missional community setting, right? Somebody sharing their story. Right? Somebody's opening up their heart and you've got five people trying to give advice or five people speaking into a situation at one time. Hey, calm yourself down. You're in control of your spirit, right? One at a time. Let there be some silence, right? Oh, boy. So that all, I want you to underline that. So that all may learn. And be encouraged. Okay? So Paul's goal here in the gathering is that everyone would learn. Well, isn't that a novel concept? Coming to church and learning something. Right? Not just experience something, but learning something and being encouraged. And he grounds it all. Look at verse 33. His whole argument is grounded in this. It's grounded in theology. It's grounded in the doctrine of God. Why is a chaotic gathering or why is a chaotic missional community out of bounds according to the word of God? Because God himself is not a God of confusion, but of peace. He grounds it. Theologically, in the doctrine of God, a chaotic gathering is outside of the nature of God because God himself is not chaotic. God brings order to chaos. Okay. Now, all this is fairly straightforward, easy to, rather easy to interpret, uh, but Paul's next statement is going to take us for a ride. Okay, so buckle up, and let's go. Here we go. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission. As the law also says, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak at church. It's shameful for a woman to speak at the gathering. Now, ladies, I don't think at face value there is a more offensive set of scriptures in all the Bible. Okay? It looks like Paul is a misogynist. It looks like he's saying women have no right to speak in church. They need to be quiet. And if they have a, you know, and if, if they have a brain in their head, use it at home where your husband can bust out the crayons and, and teach you how to do it right. Right? 
That's what it looks like Paul's saying. Right? Tell me that's not what it looks like. Is that what it looks like? It's what it looks like. But I'm going to tell you this right away. That's not what Paul's saying. Okay? That's not what Paul's saying. Again, ladies, this is what you pay me for. Let's make sense of this difficult passage. Okay? And let me just tell you, there are churches who believe that is exactly what Paul's saying. And women are silenced in the gathering, right? I was a little nervous this morning because we typically have the women reader. We typically have, you know, more women on stage. I was like, Joe, you, you chose a man reader for this scripture? Fail! <laughs> My goodness. I was joking around. Lindy had a long dress on. I'm like, no, Lindy, short. <laughs> Your hair's in a bun. Put it down, right? So, so let, me, let me help us here. Let me help us here. First off, we need to know Paul. Paul isn't changing topics. That's the first thing we need to know. All, he's talking about prophecy. He's talking about interpretation of tongues. He's talking about weighing other prophecies. And then he drops this, women need to be quiet. And then he finishes with prophecy in tongues. Okay? Now, he's not, uh, you know, schizophrenic or something. He, he's not like speaking on one topic, jump to another topic, back to another topic, right? I have ADHD. I don't think Paul did, right? Paul, he's staying grounded in the same topic, and it's important for us to understand that. He's still talking about prophecy and tongues, and actually, more specifically, right now, he's just coming out of saying what? When a prophecy has been given, I want them to weigh what is being said? I want them to weigh the prophecy. Okay? That's the first thing I want us to put. Just put that in the back of your mind. Second thing, I'm just going to say this. This is the easiest thing to say. This text can't mean what we think it means at first glance. It's it absolutely it's impossible to mean. So if you just open up your Bible reading and you read that, that, that's how you can interpret it. But if we know anything about the book of First Corinthians and anything about the New Testament, we know it can't mean what it looks like Paul's trying to say. Okay, what do I mean by that? First off, in chapter 11, verses 5 to 20, Paul has already said that he expects and encourages women to pray and prophesy in the gathering as long as they have a sign of authority over them, right? They're under the authority of the elders of the church of their husbands. He wants them to pray and prophesy in public. Okay. Also, and from the book of Joel, the prophecy that was in Joel, that was fulfilled in the book of Acts, that Peter's sermon at Pentecost, he said that we, what's happening right now with the Holy Spirit is proof that your sons and daughters will prophesy. Right? So we've already seen that in the book of Acts. We've already seen that with Paul. He says, we want daughters to prophesy. So he cannot be saying all women need to be quiet in the Sunday gatherings and need to not, not speak, right? Already in chapter 11, women should pray and prophesy, right? So he can't be saying what we think he's saying. Also, in verse 31 here, he said, we want you to do this in a way that all may learn, Right? We want all to learn. Well, all includes women, male, female, 
all to learn. So when he says women go home, somehow, whatever this means, go home and learn from your husbands, it's something else. It means something else. And lastly, we need to understand the role of of women in the leadership of the New Testament church. Okay, listen to this. Women like, if I can, if I can pronounce all their names, right? Judea and Syntyche in Philippians 4, 2 through 3. Prissa in Corinthians 16, 9. Mary in Romans 16, 6. Junia in 16, 7. Tryphena and Tryphosa in Romans 16, 12, where Paul says they're all co-workers in the churches. How could they be co-workers in the churches if they can't speak in those churches? How can Phoebe fulfill her role as a deacon in Romans 16, 1 and 2? How can she be a deacon? Deacon is a leader. How could she be a deacon if she cannot speak out in the assembly? How can a woman like Nympha, who is influential enough to host a house church in Colossians 4, 15, how could she have been required to remain silent in her own home? Also, Prissa, the wife of Aquila, 16, 19, right? Like over and over and over, we see women praying. We see women prophesying. We see women even leading in the church in a deacon role in the New Testament. So Paul, and we see in Corinthians, they're praying and prophesying. We, so what Paul is saying here cannot be all women everywhere be quiet. Can't mean that. Can't mean that. So what does all this mean? I think there are a couple of key words, a few key words that we need to look at. And and they're going to kind of point us in the right direction. Number one, it's women. Number two, husbands. Number three, submission. Number four, shameful. All within the context, this is what he's talking about. The public weighing of the tongues and prophecies. The public weighing of of the tongues and prophecies. It seems that the way the Corinthian women were questioning and speaking in the gathering was shameful, was disrespectful to their husbands and the male leadership of the church, that it was n- and that was not in line with the truth of the gospel. So Paul says, don't do that in the gathering. Talk with your husbands about it when you get home. So it literally seems like what what Carson, what other scholars say, that someone would prophesy and then the men of the church or, or maybe the man would prophesy and a woman would go, wrong! Right? Now, that would be, if my wife did that, that would be a little distracting to me. He doesn't do that at home. Right? Right? If I'm preaching that, she goes, I wish he did that. Right? Be a little awkward. Scholar D.A. Carson says this, Paul is saying women are not permitted to speak into the public weighing of prophecies. I don't know. How often do we have that here, right? Very rarely. How often have we ever had it in a gathering that you've probably been in, right? Women disagreeing and women, you know, in a missional community setting, I think that might be more likely. What does this exactly mean? I'm trying to make sense of it. 
But listen, let me, let me just add some other scripture to this, okay? And, and try to, let's give us a little bit of a framework to hang this kind of doctrine or hang this theology on. Now, if we know 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, Paul says there that he does not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man in the gathering. Does it mean women can't be bosses out in the public square? Corporate America, more power to you, right? But in the church, women cannot exercise authority over a man, and they cannot uh, publicly teach from an elder role, all right? Elders, the leaders, the pastors of a church, if you didn't know, elders, pastors, bishop, uh, those words are all the same in the Greek, or they're all interchangeable in the Greek. There's no such thing as an elder and a pastor. An elder is a pastor. Elders are only male. One of the requirements of a, ma- of a pastor is that he be the husband of one wife, right? So elders in the local church can only be a male. So that means pastors at Sacred City can only be male. Church planners can only be male. Women can be deacons. Women can fulfill nearly every role, other role in the church. But the, the lead pastor the, uh, and the preaching visionary needs to be a man. Now, why? Timothy, Paul grounds it. Again, in theology, he says man was born first, man was created first, and then woman was created from man. And he's saying that this is the way God set it up. Man is meant to be, uh, oh, man, I don't even want to get, I don't, I don't want to get, man is meant to be the head and woman is meant to be the helper. And this is not saying man is better, woman is lesser. This is saying they are equal, but not equivalent we have differences, right? And the, the, the man was created to lead, right? If we don't like it, Jesus himself, he chose 12 apostles, all of them male, right? But he had, but he, did he, did he ever treat women in a derogatory fashion? Absolutely not, right? He elevated the, who did he show up to first after his resurrection? Women, right? And that's unheard of in that culture. So we're not, saying women are less important than men. Not at all. So from this context, it seems that Paul is saying women can speak out in the gathering. They can pray. They can prophesy. But they should not challenge or question the prophecies of their husbands or other male leaders in the gathering. Because that would bring shame to their husbands and would disrespect the leaders that God has placed in the church. Okay? So if, if, if my wife disagrees with something I'm, I'm going to say, she should talk to me about it at home when I get home. Right? She shouldn't just blurt it out in the middle of the gathering. Right? Or any other time. Now, if you're, if you're upset, let me just say this. If you're offended that Paul told women to be quiet, remember, he has already told the tongue talkers and the prophets to be quiet, right? He's already put sanctions on their freedom, right? You think you got a word from the Lord? Wait for the other guy. Be quiet. Share it once, two or three at a time. He's already put sanctions on their freedom, okay? So it's not just Paul is a misogynist and he's just like, women, Be quiet because you have nothing good to say. Like, absolutely not. We are not the body of Christ without women. 
right? We need your wisdom. We need your leadership. We need your gifts. We need you as the body of Christ. You are absolutely vital to the functioning of a healthy church. Absolutely. Okay? So Paul is not saying that. He's trying to take a rowdy, chaotic gathering, and he's trying to turn it. He's trying to speak order into chaos. He's trying to turn it into a peaceable, intelligible gathering that makes disciples. So when Paul speaks to the ladies here, that's his overarching goal, right? He's, he wants our gatherings to reflect life inside God's kingdom. And it's not chaotic. And I'm just going to say, there is a God-given order to creation. Men are called to lead and women are called to help. That's not derogatory. And if you've ever been at a dinner party with a wife who constantly cuts down her husband, you know how awkward it makes you feel. Right? You know how offensive it can be. And you wonder, now, that guy who, who walks in like a whip puppy dog, you understand why he does that. Right? The wife that God gave him to build him up into the man of God that he's supposed to be, to sanctify and make him more and more beautiful, that wife's cutting his knees out from under him. And then she's miserable herself. Right? Because she wants a leader. She wants somebody who's going to lead her towards the throne room of God and lead her into the, the, the beautifying process that God has us all in. So, I know I'm in trouble. Verse 36. Or was it from you? Now, this is how we know. This is another, another reason we, we know that he's talking about the weighing of prophecy. Look at this. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Oh, did you speak the word of God? Did you originate God's divine word? Or are you the only one it has reached? If anyone thinks that he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Okay? Decently in order. Now you might be hearing this and thinking, how stupid, how trivial. Why is this even in the Bible? I'll be honest, I had those thoughts this week. But I think one of the keys for us this morning of why it's here is actually verses 36 to 38 there. Where Paul, when he tells when he tells women not to speak into the public weighing of prophecy, not to kind of be argumentative or, or shameful or divisive over in their husbands, he does, Paul himself doesn't think it's trivial. In fact, this is a, a, a brilliant testament to how Paul understood himself to be divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit because he says, what I just told you, that's a command from the Lord. Paul doesn't say, now go weigh that. I want you guys to go weigh that prophecy. He says, no, this is from the Lord. See, Paul is different from us. Paul is divinely inspired. He says, this is a command from King Jesus. If you don't think it's important, then you're not even recognized. That's what he's saying. So Paul thinks it's a big deal. So I think if Paul thinks it's a big deal, then I should check myself and go, okay, I'm sorry. My bad. Show me why this is a big deal. Paul says, this 
is straight from the mouth of our Lord. Now, I've talked about a little bit. Paul calls Jesus Lord. This is kingdom language. Jesus himself came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And I think many times in uh, our evangelical churches, we miss the kingdom. We, we want to talk about salvation. Everything's about salvation. Come to know Jesus so you can spend eternal life with him. So it's a one and done. Come make a decision and, just, and it's done. That's not what Jesus taught. That's not what Paul taught. Paul taught that coming to faith, you are now entering into a different kingdom with a different ruler and a different Lord. And now the point is to be, to be living inside that kingdom and to be made into the image of the king, to be made more and more and more beautiful to the point where we, when we die, we are now glorified and we step into another completely different, beautiful state. Paul loves to call Jesus Lord. He uses the, the term 69 times in the book of 1 Corinthians alone. And again, the word means master or ruler or owner. The, the word does not mean homeboy. Right? The word does not mean boyfriend. Right? The word does not mean, you know, I think many of the times we, we get this Jesus where we could cuddle, right? Little cuddle bunny Jesus, right? Or Jesus who's okay with all my stuff. Jesus, right? The word means master. Now, that's the word Lord when it's used is kingdom language. Paul is showing us here one of the uniquenesses of Christianity. If you are a Christian, Jesus Christ is to be Lord of every area of your life. Now, that's a real that's a, that's a unique kind of demand, and ordinarily it really like surprises people, right? It's kind of like a surprise. What do I mean by that? Like this, most of the time we come to Jesus because we want Jesus to fix a certain problem for us, right? So it could be relational. Maybe our marriages are kind of haywire. So we come to Jesus for Jesus to fix our marriage, right? We, we come to Jesus for help. We begin to see Jesus as good and as gracious, and we give him our sin, right? We give him our problems. We turn over our stuff to Jesus, and Jesus graciously begins to do some good work in our lives and in our marriages, right? Maybe it's a difficult child. You have a child that's, that's pushing you to your breaking point. So it's brought you back into the gathering. It's brought you back to church to say, okay, I, we need help in raising our children. So we, most of the time, maybe it's been an addiction. Addiction drives you back to Jesus. Maybe it's been something horrible that's happened in your life. Some kind of, uh, you know, this, I can't, I don't even want to list it. There's plenty of things, but these, we come to Jesus for help with a situation most of the time. And Jesus is good and gracious and he helps us with that situation. But what we soon discover before long, what we find out is once you crack the door open and you let Jesus come into your life, once you accept him as savior, he comes in as Lord. It's like this. It's like we, we crack the front door open and we let Jesus come into our living room. 
And we're like, Jesus, the problem is here in the living room. It's, it's relational. It's me and my kids. It's, it's me and my wife. It's, it's right here in the living room. I need help in the living room, Jesus. And Jesus is so gracious to us. He helps us and he cleans us up and he brings renewal and he brings redemption. And he brings restoration. He literally remodels the whole living room, right? He does great work in our kids. He does great work in us. And we're like, yes, thank you so much, Jesus. And we open the door and we go, okay, go on. And he says, no. I'd like to see the office. I'd like to see how things are going at work. And then we, we, we kind of get a little nervous. I, I just needed help here. Office is fine. Things are going well at work. No need to go in there. No, no. I, I'm going to take a look at the office. And he starts pushing past us and bud and but you know, trying to try to get into the office area. And eventually, you know, reluctantly, we're like, okay, fine. I'll let him into my work life. And Jesus enters into this work life and now he starts, you know, talking to us about how we're treating our employees or talking to us about, oh, you know, are you fudging the numbers here? Or or are you, you know, kind of, you know, exaggerating the qualities of that product that that you're trying to sell? And he he said, how are you working with your coworkers or how are you respecting your boss? And he gets into that area that we didn't want him to have anything to do with. See, that's Jesus as Lord. But then unfortunately, Jesus never stops there. Right? We let him into the work life. And then he's like, hey, can I, can I see the basement? I need to go to the basement. We're mortified, right? We're more. I got things down there nobody knows about. I forgot about down there. Right? I don't want you to go down there. I've buried hurt down there. I've buried people down there. I've buried relationships. Right? Like, I'm not forgiving that person. That's in the basement. No, Jesus. Thanks for the office remodel. Thanks for the living room remodel. That's it. Go on. But Jesus doesn't come in like that. He's our Lord. He's the boss. So he starts pecking on our shoulder. He starts butting his way around us. And it's exhausting to keep Jesus out of where he wants to go. Right? It's exhausting. So finally we're like, fine, go to the basement. He goes to the basement. He does some really good work, right? He brings renewal to us. He brings forgiveness where we've withheld forgiveness. (sighs) Can I see the laundry room? We're like, oh, no. Right? There's definitely nobody goes in the laundry room. We don't even have a laundry room here. That's like off limits. It's quarantined. Right? I know when I was growing up, the laundry room was the like worst house, worst room in the house because my parents had three wrestlers. And if you know anything about a wrestler, you sweat probably six pounds of fluid out of your body. And then you're in high school. So all you do is you take that sweaty thing, you put it in a gym bag, and then you go dump it out in the laundry room floor. Well, that thing begins to grow mold like immediately. Right? That thing is growing. It, that thing's living. Right? I think it, it moves occasionally. Right? It's nasty. Right? That's the laundry room. Right? It smells funny. Stuff we don't want anybody to see. It's dirty. Jesus says, yeah, yeah I, I want to go there too. That's where I want to do work. That's when I say I'm making all things new. The living room was great. That was an easy project, right? What's, will you let me in the laundry room? 
Will you let me in there? Do you trust me enough that I can make even that place beautiful? See, that's Jesus as Lord for the Christian. We, we, at conversion, we crack the door and we let him in. We kind of got him blocked off, just this room. He doesn't come in like that. He doesn't take off his Lord hat. I'll be a savior. He comes in as Lord, even if we don't know it. And he won't stop. He's relentless with us. He's relentless with us. He wants into every nook and cranny of our house. He wants to remodel the whole thing. See, that's what's meant to happen for us. We're meant to say, yes, Lord, whatever you want. Basement, garage, office, laundry room. In fact, it's so exhausting for me to try to keep everything presentable. See, that's the deal. Like, you know, especially if you've got kids, like you just got to come to the realization that you cannot keep your house presentable. You just can't, right? It doesn't matter if I'm ready for missional community. I can walk over by the table. Oh, sticky. Like my house is sticky most of the time, right? Just, it's, it's just... You can't keep it up. You can't keep it up. And if we live our lives thinking, I got to keep this room presentable. I got to keep the work life presentable. I got to keep the basement presentable. It's so exhausting to go room to room to the house, trying to be good enough all the time where what we need to do is come to the realization. What am I doing? What am I hiding? Jesus, let me sign the deed of my life. Let me sign the deed of my house over to you. You run it. You manage it. You clean it. You work it. You renew it. You do it. I can't do it anymore. I can't keep it up. What we find is Jesus has unlimited power. Jesus has unlimited knowledge. Jesus has unlimited grace. That's what he wants. When he says, behold, I'm making all things new. That's us. It includes us. It's all of creation, but it includes us. He's going room to room in your heart, cleaning house, remodeling, restoring, making you more and more and more beautiful, even when you don't understand it. Even when you come to a passage, and I don't get it, but here's the deed of my house. Here's the keys. Go where you want to go. Work on what you want to work on. That's surrendering to the lordship of Christ. You want theological terms? This is what sanctification is. Like these big words, sanctification, what does that mean? It means handing the keys to our house over to Jesus and say, go room to room, clean out, beautify, work on us, make us more and more beautiful until you come back to glorify us. Do that work in us, Jesus, continually, even though it's painful. I had a friend this week told me, he kind of pulled back a little bit and was going through some struggles. And he opened up and he shared with his community. And he said, man, it's so weird how you just feel like a weight comes off. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of what Jesus likes to do. When we let him do work, when we let him into that back room, he throws a lot of stuff away. He takes a lot of burdens off of us. He takes them and he dies with them on the cross. That's what he does. He's good. He's gracious. 
So listen, what do we want from this text? Listen, when I come to this text, I don't really get it all the way, right? But okay, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to say this. Okay, Jesus, I'll be quiet if I need to be. I had a person in my missional community come up a couple weeks ago and say, hey, this person's about to share uh, an ad been preaching on the gifts of everybody. And they go, um, and I think you, you talk too much in missional community. You need to stop and you need to let some of us others share. I went, who is this that speaketh unto me? Do they not know that I started this church? Do they not know that I created the first missional? Do they not know that I know? And I just... So I, and it was a woman, so I pulled out this text and said, woman, be quiet, all right? <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I didn't. I said, oh, I got to swallow that one and I got to eat that one. And that's absolutely true. Absolutely true. I need to be quiet. I will be. If we stand on our rights, I have a right to speak. I have a right. Whoa. In the gospel, we have no rights. The only thing we've earned is the fast track to hell. That's the only thing we've earned. We've all sinned and fallen short. We have no rights, but the rights that God has graciously restored to us, right? So can we be humble enough to go, I will be quiet if I need to be. Maybe, you know, and women, this, this is a touchy situation. I understand it. Like we have women readers. We have women singers. Uh, we have women uh, leaders in mission community. We have women leading all over the place. But there's something about, there's something that, that can be shameful. Let's just say that. There's some kind of uh, arguing or there's some kind of something, some kind of speech that can be shameful in a gathering. Let's just be respectful of that, right? If you cross the line, we'll talk about it, right? We're, we're gracious here, right? It's not like, Okay, done, never speak again. No, 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 no. Faith and repentance, right? But we need to be aware of this. We need to be aware of it. We need to say, okay, if I need to back off, if I need to calm down, if I need to go pray about it, if I need to be quiet, I'll be, I'm willing to be quiet. So, Jesus Christ is Lord you're not a believer in here, you have an opportunity today to kind of crack that door open. Actually, he's cracking that door open. And what that means is you let Jesus come in and he takes your junk. I know it seems huge to you when you have this living room and you're like, my living room, it's, it's a mess. I need help with relationships or I need help with finances or I need help with whatever. Jesus come, And Jesus will graciously step in and he will bring renewal. That's what he does. He'll bring redemption. He'll take your sin upon himself on the cross. He'll give you his righteousness. And you, in that moment, become a son or a daughter of God as a gift of grace through faith. That's what happens, right? And it can happen right here this morning. Just say, Father, I I repent of my sin and I want Jesus to be my savior. But there's also an application for us as believers here that Jesus, he's came in as savior. Great. But where does he want to go? And listen, you know, you know where he wants to go. I don't know where he wants to go in you. you. He might be knocking on the office door. He might want to be taking a look at the budget. Will you let him in? Or are you still going to dance? Nope. Stay out of the office. 
How long are you going to keep that up? How long are you going to keep that up? Maybe he's trying to get into the family room. Maybe he's trying to get into the bedroom. Will you let him in? Will you let him clean up the bedroom? Will you let him clean up the laundry room? Will you let him beaut? And listen, when I say clean up, I don't want you to think in like stark moralistic terms. I want you to think in renovation, beautifying, HGTV on steroids, right? He's coming in with the resources of all of creation and he's renovating your home, your heart. Will you let him? Let me pray. Father, as we come to the table this morning, this is a table of grace. Father, and I just, you know, I, I want to be, I kind of, I just want to be quiet uh, before you this morning because there's an infinite knowledge gap between my understanding and your understanding. I'm a finite creature. I can't understand you fully. I can understand pieces, but I can't understand you fully. So I want to trust you. I trust that you are doing good work, that you are renovating our hearts, that you are at work making us more and more and more beautiful in Jesus. And as we come to the table this morning, we're receiving that. There's a meal of grace that God is in us. He's in the house. He's in the house. He's in the room. He's doing work, that this isn't something we have to perform and we have to make happen, that Christ is the one doing the work. We thank you for that. Father, for those this morning who turned from their sins and put their faith in you for the first time, I pray that you would just breathe life in them, that you would give them hope, that you give them joy, that they would literally feel the weight um, of their sins, the weight of their shame, the weight of their guilt lifted off of them. We pray this because Jesus Christ has completed the work of salvation. He sent the Holy Spirit who's full of power and the gospel is the power of God for the salvation for all of those who believe. So we pray for that this morning. May you be glorified as we enjoy the good work that you're doing in our church, in our city, in our homes, and in our soul. For your glory and our joy, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.